You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 112, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format through expert analysis. Today's expert is Dr. Vatsal Thakur. Dr. Thakur is the founder and CMO of Reimbursify, but more importantly, he is one of the founding members of the Vitamin D for All group, which is a collection of scientists, researchers, and public health advocates who recommend widespread vitamin D supplementation to treat the very common disorder of vitamin D deficiency. There aren't a whole lot of people out advocating for vitamins and nutrients, frankly, because there's just not a lot of money in it, certainly not what like there is for prescription drugs. I mean, we've all heard of big pharma and you know, big tobacco. I don't really think there's a big vitamin. <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about vitamin D and the fairly strong evidence that it has helpful effects and benefits for immunological function, which is especially important at this time of a COVID pandemic. This is in addition to the fairly widespread notion that vitamin D helps in bone growth, and prevents osteoporosis in addition with calcium. But before we get into the show, here's a quick message from Resolve, a physician contract review company. At Resolve, they believe that knowledge is power for physicians, and that power gives you control over your financial future. Resolve believes that by mining, analyzing, and synthesizing data, they can provide you with the information and insight that empowers you to diagnose the health of your career, fully understand your worth, and maximize your full potential. As a company founded by a doctor for doctors, Resolve's focus is on the well-being of those whose purpose in life is to care for the well-being of others. To have this incredible company review your employment contract, find them at drpodcastnetwork.com slash resolve. The link is also in the description of the show. I'd like to remind you to visit the show notes page at theparadox.com slash 112, where you can find the links to the letters we discuss here. I especially want to point out the letter at vitamindforall.com. ORG, where all the signers to the letter basically advocating for the supplementation of vitamin D, but they actually state not only their recommendation, but also what they do themselves personally. So I think that's very powerful. You'll see oftentimes people say, you should take between two to 4,000 units, and then they're almost all taking four, sometimes up for to 10,000 units per day. And so it's just kind of interesting to see that people basically put their money where their mouth is, not that they need to make any money with vitamin D outside of, I suppose, some of them do some research. On a personal note, I'd like to also add that after reading some of the research, seeing a couple talks by these researchers, reading the paper that was written by Dr. Thacker and a former Surgeon General, I began supplementing with vitamin D. Uh, and then after a discussion with this, after this interview, I changed my supplementation and I actually take more than I was before. And instead of taking it once a week, I take it daily. Anyway, I just want to kind of add that. So I've been convinced. Certainly you can do what you want. Again, as you'll find in the discussion, vitamin D supplementation is relatively inexpensive. You have very little to lose. And so it seemed like a no-brainer for me to do. I also have been supplementing now for a few months. I do live in Michigan where we have one sunny day every three weeks maybe in the winter. 
Uh, and when it is sunny, it's 35 degrees and you basically just have your face exposed. So the amount of vitamin D you get is pretty paltry. Uh, anyway, I had it tested and I my levels were 52. So I was very happy with that. And actually, that's even before I'd done more than a week or two of the increased supplementation. So I suspect that my levels will be between 50 and 70 pretty soon. And it was not that hard to do. But I thought it's important to give you that information for full disclosure before this episode. Uh, finally, I want to continue to encourage you to share the show with your friends, family, colleagues. I think this is an especially important one. We're all worried about infections. And even when this COVID pandemic goes away, which it will at some point, uh, we're still going to be facing constant threats to our immune system. And so this discussion will be pertinent even after this pandemic has passed. But without further ado, Dr. Vatsal Thacker on vitamin D for the win. Enjoy. Well, hey, I'm here with my new friend, Vatsal Thacker. Dr. Thacker is the founder, president, chief medical officer of Reimbursify. He's also a former clinical assistant professor at NYU Langone Health uh, System. And uh, all sorts of different positions. He's a psychiatrist by training. And today we're going to talk about, well, not psychiatry. We're going to talk about, <laughs> about vitamin D. So first, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. With COVID, obviously, this is a big, huge topic. We're going to talk about vitamin D because I think it's something that I think is uh, some people are discovering both inside and outside of healthcare. Why don't you talk about how you sort of got into learning more about vitamin D and its effects within the you know, within the body. Sure. No, th thanks a lot. So as you said, I'm a psychiatrist. I've been practicing for more than 15 years. And I opened up my first practice in New York City. Uh, it was coming up on 14 years ago now. And that was right around the time that vitamin D was starting to be in the news. And there was, an, a, you know, an easy blood test available. And there was a lot of correlation with various psychiatric diagnoses. And so I started, you know, I started just ordering tests on patients to see what their levels were. And lo and behold, most of them were low and they were, some of them were mind bogglingly low. So I just, it became part of my practice to order a, a level on every new patient, unless they had recently had one, you know, from a physical and correct it. So that was the second piece of it. If I found a level that was, I typically wanted their level above 40 uh, nanograms per mil deficient is well, the, the normal lab value is 30 to 100 usually, you know, deficient is usually below 20 and severely deficient below 12. So I would typically order the test and if they needed supplementation, I would order that too, just, you know, in terms of an over-the-counter dosage. I guess the, the natural question is, what, what role does vitamin D have in psychiatry? I mean, with, the, with mental illness. So there's a lot of correlation with various mental illness, depression, psychosis, bipolar disorders, uh, schizophrenia. What we haven't yet seen is that correcting vitamin D deficiency brings sort of a robust clinical improvement. The only place I've, I've seen that in my practice would be in fatigue, I would say. Fatigue and low energy, which can obviously be a part of almost any different, any psychiatric condition. But I found that people whose D levels were really low would notice a benefit when the, those levels were corrected. That doesn't mean that they were cured of what they came in to see me for. Sure, yeah. But they did feel better. And just knowing that it's because there was so much correlation data, it seemed to smack at being a risk factor for various things, not just psychiatric, but immunological and medical as well. And so it just felt right. If I'm treating these people, I should make sure they have a normal level of vitamin D uh, if they didn't to begin with. So it made sense to me. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, I feel like with medical school for me, vitamin D was intimately related to calcium and your calcium regulation, in your body. And that was sort of it. We really didn't have, there, there weren't any other associations with vitamin D on anything else, at least that I recall learning. Now, you know, right. maybe I just skipped that part of physiology. Well, I don't remember. No, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. I mean, that's, that's what I remember. And I think I went to med school before you. So uh, I did, probably didn't even learn that much. So right around the time that I started this practice and I'm ordering all these tests, <clears throat> I, I thought, well, hey, I want to know what my level is. Yeah. And so I asked my primary care doctor and he talked me out of it. <laughs> he said, it, you know, one study says you should, you should raise it. One study says it doesn't matter. So if it ain't broke, why, why look for a problem? So about a year later, I, I was still curious. So I, deci- I decided to order my own level. And it was in August of 2012. I just come back from a beach vacation on Cape Cod with my fam- wife and kids. And I thought it, it was just sort of a perfunctory, right? I just wanted to know what it was, my level. Sure. So I ordered it and it was 11. <laughs> <laughs> and I just was shocked at that. And and I think that's one of the um, hidden facts about vitamin D is that there's so many people walking around with a deficiency, sometimes a severe deficiency, and they don't even know it. And, you know, here I was, I have brown skin, right? I'm a, what, I guess a Fitzpatrick type four, you know, I, I looked at the scale. And so I need more time in the sun than you do for making the same amount of vitamin D. And plus I'm probably heavier than you are. And so that, you know, fat cells will suck up vitamin D. Uh, so that further drives my level lower. And it was just stunning to know that I was walking around with a severe deficiency. And, it, it, you know, my, in the course of testing hundreds of patients, I found people, I found another MD I was seeing once uh, who had a single digit level. And also unbeknownst to him that, you know, it was, it was so low. I tend to have darker skin, although it tends to be more in the summer, but I've got some Mexican in me, although you would know it from my name, Larson. Um, but I, I've always thought the same thing. We actually have a foster son who's Guatemalan who lives in our house. And, you know, Michigan is not exactly known for their sunlight. And right. especially, especially, well, about six months of the year, we really have almost none, much worse than New York. Although even although you could argue even if you had sunlight, it wouldn't matter because you're totally covered up and bundled anyway. Because, right. you know, just your, just your face is exposed. Uh, and his levels were exceptionally low too, right? And so he was going, he'd have to, he had to start a lot of, uh, with, I don't remember the, term is, but I'll, he had to get sort of mega doses for a couple of weeks to try and drive his levels up. Aside from, I guess, you know, the, the obvious thing is we know vitamin D is related to calcium. And so if you have low vitamin D levels, you're going to have problems with, uh, you know, osteoporosis and, and bone disorders. But I think what has become more, at least more well-known now, or at least is talked about now is are the other rules that vitamin D have. Why don't you talk about what that has besides, I mean, general fatigue, you might say, where, do we, where have we noticed that vitamin D is now important as more than just a vitamin? Because I think when we look at vitamins, we think of them, I guess, physiologically, they sort of be things that help other enzymes work. And so if you don't have, if you're deficient in the vitamin, you have a problem. But it seems like vitamin D is even more than a vitamin, that it it's more like a, a almost like a hormonal uh, aspect to it too. Right. Uh, absolutely. And, and I always like to look at current trends in in medicine uh, through the lens of history, right? And and through evolution. So we're a species that's evolved to be outdoors a lot. Um, Sure. You know, we had to hunt for food. We 
might not have had shelter until very recently in our in our uh, species existence. And so one could argue uh, pretty confidently that a thousand years ago, certainly 10,000 years ago, our vitamin D levels would have been radically higher than they are now. And that's true if you look at populations, like for example, um, uh, African tribesmen who are out, uh, you know, wearing little clothes and out in the sun a lot, they have levels that are in the 70s or 80s, which I don't think I ever saw a random level in the 70s or 80s here uh, when I was testing people in, in New York City. That's one element that I like to keep in mind. And so what does it do for you, right? If, if we've decided that for bone health, we need a level, you know, some people say 15 or, or, or above 20. I think most people would say you prevent rickets above uh, a level of 20 nanograms per mil, then why did we ever have levels higher? And right. could there be another purpose for that? And over the last 20 years, most of the research on vitamin D has been on the immune system. And some of this has come out of correlational studies that showed a whole myriad of autoimmune conditions that correlate with a low vitamin D level. That science has progressed to the point where vitamin D, a low vitamin D level is now considered a modifiable risk factor for developing multiple sclerosis. I don't know, I don't know what, when you were in school, what you were told, but when I learned about multiple sclerosis, they said, well, we know it happens. It, it, there's a higher incidence at Northern latitudes. Right. And at the time they, they explained it as we, we think it's because of greater viral infections that there was no vitamin D mentioned. And this was, you know, that lecture I'm referring to was probably in 95, 1995. So I just thought it was interesting. Here we are 20 years later. I, I always like to think about, I, I love what I learned in med school, but I, I really love what I learned wrong in med school. Because, <laughs> yes, totally. Because, you know, up to a half of it's going to be proven wrong. And uh, what's that going to be? I want to be. I want to be on top of that knowledge as it's sh as it's shifting. A lot of correlational data started coming out around autoimmune conditions, and when you look at the basic science of it, you know, vitamin D gets converted into 25 hydroxy vitamin D, which then gets converted into 125 dihydroxy vitamin D, which is the active form. And it has a whole slew of acts, actions uh, in virtually every organ system in the in the body. It activates something like a third to a fourth of the the human genome of the human genes. Every cell in our body has a vitamin D receptor, and so you have to ask yourself, well, what's it doing besides bone health? And if you really drill down into it, vitamin D specific actions on the immune system include uh, inhibiting pro-inflammatory cytokines, which lead to cytokine storm. It can actually release anti-inflammatory cytokines. Uh, it can inhibit T-cell overproliferation. It can enhance the production of cathelicidins and defensins, which are natural antiviral and antimicrobial uh, peptides, and enhance things like interleukin-4, 5, and 10, which can fine-tune the immune response. So what first occurred to me was uh, it seems like low vitamin D state makes your immune system a little bit blind. And that's what I, I wrote about in the Wall Street Journal uh, earlier uh, in the year, last year, uh, as it relates to COVID. And the kernel for that op-ed came from the fact that it was late March, early April, and the data started surfacing. The clinical course of patients was different 
based on skin tone. And I immediately, you know, just the radar went off in my head because here I was, I was, my own vitamin D level was probably 10 points lower than my peers, at least. Right. And the people I tested, I had intuited that skin tone correlation to their vitamin D level. And I just thought, oh, you know, here's a a new viral illness. Could there be some vitamin D connection to it? Start doing research. One of the first preprints came out on the topic. And I, I first made that preliminary connection last April in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, I do remember, I do recall that now with, with uh, multiple sclerosis, for instance, where it was always at the, I think it even said like the 45th parallel or something right. like that, or maybe it's a 35th, that if you're above the 35th, it significantly changed. And it would be plausible that vitamin D would have some sort of role in that because your, your exposure to sunlight is a lot less. And it's certainly, you know, most of the year you're not getting the right angle, right? It has to be the right angle to actually for the UVB right. to so penetrate. Above 30, I, be, I believe it's above 35th. It's that exact same parallel um, that you cannot make vitamin D from sunlight naturally between October and late March. So Right, because the angle's wrong. Exactly, from the sun. yeah, exactly. Yeah, too much of the UV is filtered out. Yeah, and you know, I remember thinking the same thing initially because when you look at the populations who are affected by COVID, the Hispanics and and Black populations are really uh, hit hard. Right. Uh, and and I mean, part of it you could say, well, it's socioeconomic, it's exposure levels, which I think is probably definitely one of the one of the parts of your more maybe more crowded living condition things like that. But it was it was above and beyond what you'd expect just from that. And and I think you know my experience with the healthcare system in general is that especially in something like this, there's probably not a massive disparity in, you know, who you treat or how you treat. Pretty much everybody's treated. So I wouldn't expect that that would have such a profound effect on mortality rates. Right. I mean, we were talking almost double and some studies triple, yeah. right? So I, that's hard to pin on bias or access or... So I agree with you. I, I was I was also keen on seeing if there, there, there could be some environmental or biological reason. So we get vitamin D from sunlight. Obviously, we can take vitamin D supplements. And it and my impression is that that is as effective. It's, it's also incredibly inexpensive. I mean, right. vitamin D costs pennies to take. I guess, you know, if we look at the paper that you wrote or that you signed on with, that was at, uh, was it vitamin D health? Uh, it's all. Uh, vitamin D for all.org. So, so let me explain a little bit about the evolution of that. So I had written, there, there have been a few people who were early thinkers and writers on this topic and humbled to be, potentially be included in, in that group. You know, there was a researcher in, in, um, in England, Gruff Davies. There was John Umhow, who's a former U.S. Public Health Service uh, scientist and physician who wrote an opinion piece about it. Uh, even Tom Frieden had come out and talked about potentially vitamin D affecting clinical course in COVID back in March of 2020. So we all started connecting with each other in around June, July, last summer. I think we all thought that, oh, we're, we're bringing this knowledge to the forefront. And so people in higher positions with more resources who are better thinkers <laughs> will <laughs> take it and run with it and and do what needs to be done to get the solution and the knowledge out there. We didn't see that happen. Definitely, yeah. And so that's where around summer we decided, okay, well, what what more can we all do, right? And then as we started talking, then the group started to grow. So then it was 
you know, first four people and then six people and eight people. And now what we decided to do with under the basically the the initiative of Carl Flager, who's uh, a former Google data scientist who came out of this just from a, a, a scientific and, and statistical perspective, saying it's it's so plain to see that this is relevant and why is it not being really advocated for regarding some form of vitamin D knowledge into the conversation about COVID risk and infection and clinical course. And I don't know why it happened this way, but I feel like a lot of it is people had the impression that this would be over soon or it'd be a couple months and then this would kind of wash wash away, I, I guess, or the vaccine comes out or we find treatments that are effective. And in many things, it takes a while for bef- before people kind of go back to the beginning and say, well, what can we do to help optimize people so when they get exposed to whatever it is that they're not going to get as sick, right? It's like people are getting a lot of lung cancer, and so you focus all your attention on chemotherapy and surgery and everything without saying, you know what, maybe you should stop smoking, right? right. And, and uh, you know, I think that the things – certainly it's hard to ask people to lose weight – I mean, these were the, you know, we're number one eaters here in the, in the United States. And so we like to eat. Uh, and so that's probably not something that you think. Also, if you think something's going to be around for just a little while, there's no point trying to lose 10 pounds because it's not really going to affect things a lot over the span. If something is a short, a short run, right? Right. And, but and if we, it's now with us, for, if it's going to be with us for years, then absolutely losing weight and having a healthier lifestyle is going to make a difference. And so then you can look at preventative measures, you know, that seem like a long-term solution. Absolutely. And so, so that's where it started. And so we decided to um, come up with an open letter advocating for our leaders and health officials to take this seriously. And we solicited the guidance and uh, endorsement of currently stands at around 200 world experts, researchers, clinicians, there's some public health officials who signed on to to this letter that basically outlines, it's only two pages, you can see it at vitamin D for all.org. It basically outlines all the high level data that's come out, overwhelmingly positive in terms of its potential influence over COVID-19 and just simple strategies. So we advocate that everyone should take a supplement. Most of us recommend that everyone can safely take 4,000 units per day, Mm -hmm. but basically two to 4,000 is the recommendation. And that would get the majority of the population to have sufficient levels of vitamin D. The other aspect to the letter is there's some tips on how to load the dose. So it's safe to take 10,000 units a day for a couple of weeks to get your level up quickly. In fact, I've had friends who've tested positive for COVID and that's usually my advice to them if they've not been on a supplement. And here we are in winter that Mm -hmm. let's get your level up quickly and then you can drop down to 4,000 a day. We just want to get this information out there and and potentially in the hands of people who uh, have more influence than than we do, who are all kind of outsiders coming to the vitamin D table. The criticism of vitamin D is always, it, it seems to be universally kind of the same in that, okay, so you're saying vitamin D levels, you kind of make this argument that vitamin D is involved in all sorts of things, immunology, you know, uh, hematology, psychiatry, I mean, all sorts of aspects of disease function. Vitamin D is like everywhere. So it's ubiquitous. Yeah, so you're kind of like making an argument that vitamin D is like this super vitamin that's it controls all sorts of things. And if it's low, then you're going to have all these problems. But we tend to find that people who are most susceptible to COVID or whatever it might be, um, let's say the flu, right? Yes, they have low vitamin D levels. However, 
there are also people who are metabolically like inactive or they're they're feeble, they're frail, they're unable to get vitamin D normally in the environment. So you're actually finding you're not finding people who are sick because of vitamin D, but they are sick and they also happen to have vitamin D because they tend to be frail and elderly, right? So it's the classic correlation is not necessarily causation. So what sort of um, what sort of evidence? Because I know this people have been really testing that because that is always the argument that against you know hitting people with a lot of supplements of vitamin D, like well you know, expensive pee, right? Like you're just getting expensive, you know, peeing stuff like what sort of evidence suggests that it's more than just a correlation that actually there's some causative um, sort of meat behind it. Yeah, that. no, a uh, great question. And actually, you know, I didn't, I didn't start the pandemic thinking I'm going to be, I'm going to advocate for vitamin D because I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> the data wasn't out yet, even though I was a fan of testing and, and treating low levels. Before I dive into that, I'd, I'd like to also say we could also be biased to think that old age and being overweight are the risk factors, but it could also be that those, those characteristics drive the vitamin D level lower, which is the real risk factor for certain things. Certainly not for everything. I mean, it's, it's theoretically sure. possible. So why is it not just correlation? What implies that it's causation? The biggest data that came out, the, the strongest data that came out pointing in that direction was a study. It was a small pilot study done in Spain. And it was done back in March. I think it, the publication came out in September or October where patients admitted with COVID to the hospital were given either calcifidiol, which is a, a very potent vitamin D analog, or not. So it was open label. There was no placebo. Mm -hmm. Of the people who got the calcifidiol, now keep in mind, calcifidiol can raise your vitamin D, can normalize your vitamin D level within hours. And this is so, an IV formulation, correct? This is a cap. This was an oral formulation. Okay. And it basically the the blood test that we order to, for for circulating levels of is 25 OHD, and calcifidiol is basically 25 OHD. Whereas if okay. you take vitamin D from the drugstore, you're you're taking D3 usually that gets absorbed through the gut, then it has to get um, converted in the liver over a week or two to uh, 25 OHD. So we, so calcifidiol basically raises and normalizes levels immediately. And there was a stunning 90 plus percent drop in ICU admission for these COVID patients. It went from 2%, only 2% of the calcifidiol group needed the ICU versus 50% of the non-calcifidiol group needed the ICU. So that was an interesting, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting study, right? There was only 76 people. We realized that it's, you know, a small sure. study, but a very strong signal. The other ones that came out after that, so there was another study that came out from India where they gave, and this was specifically for mild cases of COVID-19, COVID you know, PCR positive, mild cases. Everyone got... Oh, um, let me just add about that Spanish study. The authors noted that the population in that part of Spain has an average serum level of 16 nanograms per mil. So it's likely that the majority of that study population was deficient. Sure. Putting that out there. Another study that came out from India was giving high dose vitamin D replenishment to people who were deficient and had tested positive for COVID and had mild cases. 
and they gave them 60,000 units daily for seven days, a total of 420,000 units to replenish and pretty quickly. And what they found was that it tripled the rate of the number of people who were clear of the virus by 14 days. So it was about 20% clearance in the placebo group. This, this, this study did have a placebo group and 63% were negative at 14 days of the vitamin D treated group. In addition, there was a statistically significant reduction in fibrinogen levels in the treated group. So again, this, you know, there's so many Venn diagrams that seem to coalesce (laughs) around vitamin D's effects and COVID-19's effects and how vitamin D, proper levels of vitamin D can actually protect against some of those ill effects of of the virus. Sure. I and mean, I guess just to summarize for those who aren't maybe following that line of um, reasoning, you know, uh, one of the, the, the two major problems, I guess you'd say, with, with COVID-19 people who have, so SARS-CoV-2 is, as I've talked to the show, is actually the name of the virus. COVID-19 is, this, is the, the disease you get if you express symptoms of infection with SARS-CoV-2. Um, so COVID-19, the two things, one is you get this hyperinflammatory state of cytokine storm where, and so one of the things you mentioned earlier is vitamin D tends to stabilize and sort of prevent that from getting a sort of a crazy response. Uh, then, and also the other thing later on is that you have a hypercoagulable state where you start clotting a lot. And so you tend to throw clots to your lungs and other organs and it can cause all sorts of other problems. And that's, and that's what happens maybe later. And I've seen people who've gotten strokes who are otherwise you'd consider healthy people and they're young people in their forties. Um, and so the thought then, I guess then too, is that vitamin D has an ability to stabilize and prevent as much of that sort of problems. And, and if you could, if you prevent sort of the overreaction, I guess, from the, from your body to the, to an infection, that's sort of what the vitamin D does is, I guess, well, that would be the, the, the speculation, I suppose, of, of its usefulness in this sort of infection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like there's half a dozen things that vitamin D can correct that COVID-19, forgive me, SARS-CoV-2 actually takes advantage of to cause sickness, illness, and and potentially death. Right. Yeah. And I think when you look from an evolutionary standpoint or the way the body's designed, it it sort of makes sense that your body would would be, um, there are a lot of mechanisms for homeostasis and maintaining your normal sort of function would be re- dependent on something that would be very common that you'd have a lot of. And so if you were always had a lot of sunlight and always had good exposure, it would not be surprising that it would be that you'd find that it, it would have functions throughout the body in many different, in many different places, right? It's sort of like all the bo- tissues use oxygen, right? Because we, we have lots of oxygen. I mean, there, there's certain things you could imagine that would be specific to um, that, your body would not be totally dependent on, but you could see why vitamin D would be something central because it is, I mean, the sun is, <laughs> that's about it. If you don't have the sunlight, you're going to die for other reasons too. So it would make sense that we'd evolve with using sunlight and, you know, oxygen is sort of the main, main sort of things in an environment. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that actually reminds me of another layer of, of studies that have shown the uh, mortality rate from COVID-19 rises with, uh, with latitude. Sorry. Sure. So, so like worse in Sweden than in, in like uh, Tunisia. Exactly. And so, you know, New York and Chicago was hit, were hit really hard. 
And though it seems like our southern states are catching up, but it was never that sort of critical, intense onslaught of ICU admissions and uh, mortality rates. And another interesting find was that if uh, researchers, and this was 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, looked at the uh, Spanish flu pandemic from 1918, and they found that the, the mortality rates then as well were, were three to four times higher in Connecticut than they were in Texas. And there was a gradual linear increase in mortality rates the higher north you went. Well, maybe just people were much healthier in the south back then, right? No. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know. There could be other explanations, although you would argue sure. that uh, people were more active then, right? And there was there could not have been a disparity in healthcare resources because there was really no healthcare resources. Right. <laughs> I, th- right. I think the ICU was invented because of that pandemic. So. Right. Well, and the only difference, I suppose, would be the lack of air conditioning in the South, right, at the right. time. And so, um, but yeah, that is, it's very interesting. And it makes you wonder about, um, well, other respiratory diseases, right? I mean, we're talking about COVID-19 because that's what, in the front of everyone's mind right now. But we have a seasonal flu epidemic that comes by, well, it's seasonal, it comes by every year, right, in the mm-hmm. winter. And it doesn't hit just the United States. It hits the Southern Hemisphere during our summers. And, and, and you wonder how much of that is due to people just being indoors more because it's cold or if it is, if there is some, you know, other effect, like the fact that people are indoors and so they get less, they have less sun exposure, they have the vitamin D levels tend to be a little bit lower. You wonder if you were able to supplement everyone and get them, get their normal levels, what flu season would look like or other respiratory problems that people have. It's an interesting question. I, I think some of that variance is due to vitamin D. And, and there have been researchers who've stated so. I mean, my uh, one of my co-authors with Surgeon General Carmona uh, was John Umhau, who I mentioned earlier, who mm-hmm. uh, in 2006 published a paper on basically exactly that question. Is sunlight the stimulus that causes that geographical and temporal variation that you're, um, that you're describing? Um, there are other elements of physiological response to sunlight that could explain some of it too, that we can't really easily replace in a, in a, sure. in a pill form. You know, for example, nitric oxide uh, release from the skin can have some antimicrobial properties uh, and has interestingly um, hypotensive properties, which could be correlated to the fact that, I mean, there's been studies that people with my skin tone or darker, when they move to the United States, end up having high blood pressure <laughs> more, much more often <laughs> than our relatives or ancestors did. And so could there be a sunlight uh, connection there as well? Right. It's also very easy to get you to, to fall down the rabbit hole and start thinking that vitamin D or something else is the one, the cause of everything. Right? right. And so you can, you can end up forgetting the fact that, well, the flu does happen in, they get in San Diego. And I, mean, I, I think, you know, they angle the sun's different in the winter and things like that. But um, ultimately they're obviously, Lots of things that are affected. One is, of course, the fact that you're infected with a virus, and that can cause problems with your body. And whether you have the right vitamin D levels or not, doesn't matter. Uh, you may just get sick, whether, you know, whatever. Right. And we, we uh, none of us are saying that in this information campaign, saying that vitamin D is the be-all, end-all. Right. But we want it to be recognized as a factor, you know, and we need all the protective factors we can get. And that's, that's basically how we approach this, this latest article in MedPage Today last week, where Dr. Carmona, former Surgeon General and, 
and John Umhow and, and myself wanted to get the information out there that was trying to make it not controversial, right? So if people with the vitamin D deficiency do poorly when they have contract COVID-19, develop COVID-19, and if some early intervention studies are showing that replacing that and doing it aggressively decreases that risk, then until we have more data, it there's no reason not to pursue that because we have thousands of people dying every day and there there is has not been shown any harm in even these aggressive dosing regimens of you know 400,000 500,000 units over a week sure um, in replenishment obviously this is not medical advice talk to your your physician you do what you want <laughs> do what you want but i i think you know things are pretty clear that it's really hard to overdose in vitamin d i think it's not impossible, but I mean, there's certainly stories of people getting just accidentally getting mega doses and they're still usually okay. Yeah, I think uh, for, for the fat soluble vitamins, I think we've uh, overemphasized the toxicity, especially for vitamin D. Uh, the other fat soluble vitamins probably are, are worse for toxicity yeah. than, than vitamin D. Um, so uh, that's something we have to unlearn, I guess. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, the, the, the things are, Right now, it's we're recording this uh, end of, well, mid-January, I guess, and the vaccines are rolling out. I've had my first dose. I don't know if you've had one, but um, I'm, I'll be getting another one at some point. But for the rest of the country, it's going to be months before they're vaccinated. And so if you're waiting three, four months for this vaccine, the virus is still around. There's still a possibility of you getting infected. You'll probably be okay, but you, know, you might not. We just never know. That's the hard thing about this. This is a pretty inexpensive, simple intervention that you can take for yourself. Again, it's super cheap. I mean, vitamin D is, it's surprising how cheap it's cheaper than lots of the multivitamins you can, you can buy. And so it, does, it just makes sense to me. Like, why would you not do it? You know, um, I've started taking it probably a month and a half, about six month and a half ago or two months ago, because it just seemed to me, you know, no, almost no risk. You've got only upside. I'm not going to go broke taking it. So you know, why not do it? And I, I feel like that'd be a, a useful thing, message to get out to people to just start, just do it because you've got really nothing to lose. It's like drinking more water or something. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I, I think some of the pushback we get is that, oh, well, you're going to give people false sense of security if it doesn't really do anything. Does it, you know, there's intervention fatigue, right? So if, if, if someone does vitamin D, are they going to not, not take the vaccine or, you know, I, I, none of it really made sense to me because it's just one other thing, right? I try to limit my, not just limit, I've avoided pretty much all indoor uh, yeah, gathering right. with anyone. I'm wearing a mask anytime I'm out. It, you know, you can walk and chew gum. So like I also take my vitamin D and I increase my dose, uh, you know, in the spring last year. Yeah. The, uh, the fatigue thing is interesting question, not the fatigue, like the physical fatigue, but the uh, intervention fatigue, you know, where people are, well, if I do this, I'm not gonna do that. So it's not like people just do three things. And well, if I add this, I got to take something else off my routine, right? But it's also like, uh, you know, why, again, why would you not do it? Potentially, people are maybe not doing anything and like, well, well, I could do that. Or, you know, I hate this mask, I kind of wear my mask sort of, but now at least I'm taking vitamin D, you know, I can, I'll still do that. And I'll still wear my mask off and on like I'm doing anyways, I don't think it probably I don't people probably have a list of things that like the maximum things they'll do and they'll just stop doing another just because 
Like, you know, just because you start running doesn't mean, well, I'm not going to walk anymore. Or <laughs> it's Right. Or I'm, I, I can eat whatever I want because I'm, I'm exercising. Right. I I guess you could argue people like get, you know, gastric bypass. They think, well, now I can eat, you know, M&Ms all day long. Uh, but I think you probably in this case, if people are concerned enough to, to take vitamin D, they're probably the person type of person who are going to continue the, all their interventions that they're doing as well. I mean. Yeah. And, and what's unique about it is 40% of the country in, in winter is deficient. Right. So it's a huge percentage of the population. It's the only vitamin we cannot get enough of from our diet. So we basically need sunlight or a supplement for most people. I mean, especially if you have darker skin. Yeah. And like I said earlier, there's seems to be this Venn diagram that overlaps exquisitely with the damage from COVID-19. And so with those three things, it just seems like uh, it should be a no brainer. And if the worst case scenario is it doesn't help you with COVID-19, but you have less likely to break your hip, I think that's a win, right? I mean, I'm more than happy to never do another hip fracture in the OR. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the other thing. Maybe we'll have the vitamin D levels of our ancestors. That's the worst thing that'll happen. <laughs> uh, so as far as the vitamin D things go, what are you guys doing? I mean, I know you've written, you've written extensively Wall Street Journal, like you mentioned, with the former Surgeon General and others, and you've got your website. Are you finding traction? Where are you finding that it's picking up? I mean, I feel like for a while, the strange thing about COVID is there that there'd be an intervention. People would say, would almost immediately like, um, almost be opposed to it. There'd be like, the people fall into camps like they're totally against it or they're totally for it. It was very strange. I don't feel like I usually see that in medicine. So how do you feel the the adoption has been within, say, hospitals? Like, uh, are lots of hospitals starting to say, when you come in with COVID-19, they, make, they check your vitamin D level, they give to vitamin D. What's your impression for clinicians? So I, in the informal survey that I've done around people I know, um, there really is no, or, you know, as of a month ago, was no protocol. So people are not routinely checked for vitamin D levels. They were not routinely given vitamin D when they were given vitamin D. Um, and, you know, they were given normal doses sure. instead of what should be more aggressive doses if they're in the hospital. And so part of our rationale in, in last week's article in MidPage today was that's the group we want to kind of target as our audience. So, you know, we titled it, don't let COVID-19 patients die with vitamin D deficiency. Because if all these papers that are coming out are right, the majority of your admissions are deficient. Right. And, and if they're deficient, there's early evidence that shows if you aggressively correct that right when you admit them, they'll have a much better chance of making it, you know, surviving uh, this infection. Sure. And so that's, that's kind of what, what we wanted to get out there. And it's just frustrating, you know, like uh, Dr. Fauci month, a few months ago said he takes vitamin D, there's unconfirmed reports, he takes 6,000 units a day, but it's not part of any sort of official recommendation, you know, to, to uh, other than, you know, he said, if you're deficient, you should supplement. I found the whole intervention with it comes to COVID. It's very strange in that we're not really talking about preventative things at all. I mean, outside of avoiding getting infected, sort of then right. it's like, well, oh, well, <laughs> you know, we'll have a vaccine at some point, but it doesn't seem like look at risk factors and try and find ways to try and help make yourself healthier. I mean, I guess you could say argue that's kind of the U.S. medical system in general, right? I mean, we sort of, we treat things as they become problems. We don't oftentimes attack things before they become problems when it comes to weight 
or you know much. I guess maybe cholesterol, but a lot of things we just sort of treat as you when you come in sick. Um, right, and the difference here is that there's a death toll every hour, well, yeah. every day. I mean, it's just right. like that. It, that's what got me like staying up till one, like researching this stuff and writing about it and connecting with people, and, uh, much to the chagrin of my wife and kids. <laughs> I know I had to convince my dad to start taking it and stuff too. But um, when it comes to when it comes to if someone wanted to to uh, just start treating themselves with the assumption that you're probably deficient if you if you're in the United States listening to this to this podcast, you're probably deficient. Uh, the recommendation is four thousand a day, two to four thousand a day, uh, which is what fourteen to twenty eight thousand units a week. Now you could th- you could take with vitamin D because it's such. It because it's just stored in your fat. You could just take all of it one day a week if you wanted, right? You could take twenty thousand yeah. a week or something. Because I'll just be—I'll admit first right now that I am not someone who remembers to take medicine because I don't take anything. Yeah. So I figure I'm good enough to remember to take it once a week. <laughs> so I take kind of a handful <laughs> once a week, and that's sort of my therapy. So you know, I a year ago I would have said. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, if you want to take it once every two weeks or once every four weeks, you know, a big mega dose, you, you can probably do that. But uh, having done the re- you know research that I, over the last few months, the immune system effects of vitamin D might actually be autocrine and paracrine. So and not uh, endocrine, which is the circulating in your bloodstream. So it might be more connected to the actual dose you take every day or every other day. So I've, I've come around to, for this crisis, basically saying, try to take it every day or two, uh, rather than weekly. And there's now some evidence that some of the studies that failed in the past for vitamin D, you know, seeing vitamin D's effects on various things, if they were given weekly or monthly doses, they were more likely to, to fail. It might be connected to this issue, which is, um, you know, that vitamin D supplementation can can act as a, an autocrine and paracrine function uh, it, it for cells and not just endocrine. Well, that's disappointing. So now I got to change my, my, well, my routine. I, but weekly, no. <laughs> you're probably fine weekly. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go, you know, less frequently than weekly. No, that's okay. I, um, again, I'm not worried about uh, being overdosing so I can take a bunch. I can I skip mean, a day and then remember the next day and just double it or something like that. It's not that uh, hard. A researcher, I forget from which country, basically wrote an opinion paper who said, you know, at the start of winter, we should just give everyone a 300,000 unit dose, (laughs) (laughs) one dose and carries you through the whole winter. But I don't think it would work. I don't think that would work as as easily as he spoke about. Well, Dr. Thacker, I'm going to have to have you on later to talk about your company, which is super interesting, Reimbursify. But if people want to find your writings, I'm going to make sure that they're linked to the show notes page at the paradox.com slash 112. Where should they find you? It sounds like you're on Twitter. Is that the best place to kind of find out? Yeah, Twitter is good. My uh, website is votselthacker.com. And then the open letter written and signed by 200 experts is at vitamindforall.org. And that's a that's the spelled out the four right F O R F O R. I think both of them work actually. Oh, okay. F O R. Bought both websites. Uh, what and uh, your Twitter handle? What's that? It's Vatsal Thacker M D. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, hopefully, everyone's got a little bit different idea of what vitamin D is, and we'll have a little bit of curiosity and maybe decide to take a few pills. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks.
Well, thanks again to Dr. Vatzel Thacker and our discussion of vitamin D. But before we end, I want to give you the link to the sponsor once again. If you need help reviewing your employment contract before you sign, reach out to a company with great online reviews and reputation for doing that and more. Find Resolve at www.drpodcastnetwork.com slash resolve to get the renew process started today. Thanks again, and we'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. 